Welcome to Pod Bless Robert Mueller, a translation for Texans, part seven. Awesome. Gee. Brought to you by the same folks that brought you Pod Bless Texas, featuring Lillian Salerno and Kendall Scudder. Lillian, did you think we would make it to episode seven? I did not. I also did not. <laughs> We now have to finish because you can't end on seven. We and I need to know what happens at the end. <laughs> <laughs> She's on pins and needles. I'm really. I think the sad thing about the report is that we don't know what happens at the end yet. We don't. We may not know till 2024. <laughs> <laughs> God. It's still going to be going I'm going to die. What? I just need this national nightmare to end. <laughs> I just can't believe the way that people... If they haven't read it and they haven't listened to this, it's a real problem. <laughs> it is nuts. Okay, well, we're picking up at our section two, um, subsection C. That's where we're picking up. So if you're following along at home, we're in volume two, section two, subsection C. Um, here we go. Thanks for listening. C. The president's reaction to public confirmation of the FBI's Russia investigation. Overview. In early March 2017, the president learned that Sessions was considering recusing from the Russia investigation and tried to prevent the recusal. After Sessions announced his recusal on March 2nd, the president expressed anger at Sessions for the decision and then privately asked Sessions to unrecuse. On March 20th, 2017, Comey publicly disclosed the existence of the FBI's Russia investigation. In the days that followed, the president contacted Comey and other intelligence agency leaders and asked them to push back publicly on the suggestion that the president had any connection to the Russia election interference effort in order to lift the cloud of the ongoing investigation. Evidence 1. Attorney General Sessions recuses from the Russia investigation. In late February 2017, the Department of Justice began an internal analysis of whether Sessions would recuse from the Russia investigation based on his role in the 2016 Trump campaign. On March 1, 2017, the press reported that, in his January confirmation hearing to become Attorney General, Senator Sessions had not disclosed two meetings he had with Russian Ambassador Kislyak before the presidential election, leading to congressional calls for Sessions to recuse or for a special counsel to investigate Russia's interference in the presidential election. Also on March 1st, the president called Comey and said he wanted to check in and see how Comey was doing. According to an email Comey sent to his chief of staff after the call, the president talked about Sessions a bit, said that he had, had said that he had heard Comey was doing great, and said that he hoped Comey would come by and say hello when he was at the White House. Comey interpreted the call as an effort by the president to pull him in. And he did not perceive the call as an attempt by the president to find out what Comey was doing with the Flynn investigation. The next morning, the president called McGahn and urged him to contact Sessions to tell him not to recuse himself from the Russia investigation. McGahn understood the president to be concerned that a recusal would make Sessions look guilty for omitting details in his confirmation hearing, leave the president unprotected from an investigation that could hobble the presidency and derail his policy objectives, and detract from a favorable press coverage of a presidential address to Congress the president had delivered earlier in the week. McGahn reached out to Sessions and reported that the president was not happy about the possibility of recusal. Sessions replied that he intended to follow the rules on recusal. 
McGahn reported back to the president about the call with Sessions, and the president reiterated that he did not want Sessions to recuse. Throughout the day, McGahn continued trying on behalf of the president to avert Sessions' recusal by speaking to Sessions' personal counsel, Sessions' chief of staff, and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and by contacting Sessions himself two more times. Sessions recalled that other White House advisors also called him that day to argue against his recusal. That afternoon, Sessions announced his decision to recuse from any existing or future investigations of any matters related in any way to the campaign for President of the United States. Sessions believed the decision to recuse was not a close call, given the applicable language in the Code of Federal Regulations, CFR, which Sessions considered to be clear and decisive. Sessions thought that any argument that the CFR did not apply to him was very thin. Sessions got the impression, based on calls he received from the White House officials, that the president was very upset with him and did not think that he had done his duty as attorney general. Shortly after Sessions announced his recusal, the White House counsel office directed that Sessions should not be contacted about the matter. Internal White House Counsel's Office notes from March 2, 2017, state, No contact with Sessions and no comms, serious concerns about obstruction. On March 3rd, the day after Sessions' recusal, McGahn was called into the Oval Office. Other advisors were there, including Priebus and Bannon. The president opened the conversation by saying, I don't have a lawyer. The president expressed anger at McGahn about the recusal and brought up Roy Cohn, stating that he wished Cohn was his attorney. McGahn interpreted this comment as directed at him, suggesting that Cohn would fight for the president, whereas McGahn would not. The president wanted McGahn to talk to Sessions about the recusal, but McGahn told the president the DOJ ethics officials had weighed in on Sessions' decision to recuse. The president then brought up the attorney generals Robert Kennedy and Eric Holder and said that they had protected their presidents. The president also pushed back on the DOJ contacts policy and said words to the effect of, You're telling me that Bobby and Jack didn't talk about the investigations or Obama didn't tell Eric Holder who to investigate? Bannon recalled that the president was as mad as Bannon had ever seen him and that he screamed at McGahn about how weak Sessions was. Bannon recalled telling the president that Sessions' recusal was not a surprise and that before the inauguration, they had discussed that Sessions would have to recuse from campaign-related investigations because of his work on the Trump campaign. That weekend, Sessions and McGahn flew to Mar-a-Lago to meet with the president. Sessions recalled that the president pulled him aside to speak to him alone and suggested that Sessions should unrecuse from the Russia investigation. The president contrasted Session with Attorney Generals Holder and Kennedy, who had developed a strategy to help their presidents where Sessions did not. Sessions said um, that he had the impression that the president feared that the investigation could spin out of control and disrupt his ability to govern, which Sessions could have helped avert if he were still overseeing it. On March 5, 2017, the White House Counsel's Office was informed by the, that the FBI was asking for transition period records related to Flynn, indicating that the FBI was still actively investigating him. On March 6, the president told advisors that he wanted to call the acting attorney general to find out whether the White House or the president was being investigated, although it was not clear whether the president knew at the time of the FBI's recent request concerning Flynn. Number two. FBI Director Comey publicly confirms the existence of the Russia investigation in testimony before HPSCI. 
On March 9, 2017, Comey briefed the Gang of Eight congressional leaders about the FBI's investigation of Russian interference, including an identification of the principal U.S. subjects of the investigation. Although it was unclear whether the president knew about the uh, knew of the briefing at the time, notes taken by Ann Donaldson, then McGahn's chief of staff, on March 12, 2017, state, POTUS in panic slash chaos. Need binders to put in front of POTUS. <laughs> all... <laughs> Number one, all things related to Russia. The week after Comey's briefing, the White House Counsel's Office was in contact with SSCI Chairman Senator Richard Burr about the Russia investigations and appears to have received information about the status of the FBI investigation. On March 20th, 2017, Comey was scheduled to testify before HPSCI. In advance of Comey's testimony, congressional officials made clear that they wanted Comey to provide information about the ongoing FBI investigations. Dana Bointe, B-O-E-N-T-E, who at the time was the acting attorney general of the Russia investigation, authorized Comey to confirm the existence of the Russia investigation and agreed that Comey should decline to comment on whether any particular individual, including the president, were being investigated. In his opening remarks to the HPSCI hearing, which was drafted in consultation with the Department of Justice, Comey stated that he had been authorized by the Department of Justice to confirm that the FBI, as part of its counterintelligence mission, is investigating the Russian government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election, and that includes investigating um, the nature of any links between individuals associated with the Trump campaign and the Russian government, and whether there was any coordination between the campaign and Russian efforts. As with any counterintelligence investigation, this will also include an assessment of whether any crimes were committed. Comey added that he would not comment further on what the FBI was doing and whose conduct it was examining, because the investigation was ongoing and classified. But he observed that he had taken the extraordinary step in consultation with the Department of Justice of briefing this Congress's leaders in a classified setting in detail about the investigation. Comey was specifically asked whether President Trump was under investigation during the campaign, or under investigation now. Comey declined to answer, stating, Please don't overinterpret what I've said as, As the chair and ranking know, we have briefed him in great detail on subjects of the investigation and what we're doing, but I'm not going to answer about anybody in this forum. Comey is also, was also asked whether the FBI was investigating the information contained in the Steele report, and he declined to answer. According to McGahn and Donaldson, the president had expressed frustration with Comey before his March 20th testimony, and the testimony made matters worse. The president had previously criticized Comey for too frequently making headlines and for not attending intelligence briefings at the White House, and the president suspected Comey of leaking certain information to the media. McGahn said that the president thought Comey was acting like his own branch of government. Press reports following Comey's March 20th testimony suggest that the FBI was investigating the president. Contrary to what Comey had told the president at the end of January 6, 2017 intelligence assessment briefing. McGahn, Donaldson, and senior advisor Stephen Miller recalled that the president was upset with Comey's testimony and the press coverage that followed because of the suggestion that the president was under investigation. Notes from the White House Counsel's Office, dated March 21, 2017, indicate that the president was beside himself over Comey's testimony. 
The president called McGahn repeatedly that day to ask him to intervene with the Department of Justice, and, according to notes, the president was getting hotter and hotter. Get rid? Officials in the White House Counsel's Office became so concerned that the president would fire Comey that they began drafting a memorandum that examined whether the president needed cause to terminate the FBI director. At the president's urging, McGahn contacted Bente several times on March 21, 2017 to seek Bente's assistance in having Comey or the Department of Justice correct the mis misperception that the president was under investigation. Bente did not specifically recall the conversations, although he did remember one conversation with McGahn around the time where McGahn asked if there was a way to speed up or end the Russia investigation as quickly as possible. Bente said McGahn told him that the president was under a cloud and it made it hard for him to govern. Bente recalled telling McGahn that there was no good way to shorten the investigation and attempting to do so could erode confidence in the investigation's conclusions. Bente said McGahn agreed and dropped the issue. The president also sought to speak with Bente directly, but McGahn told the president that Bente did not want to talk to the president about the request to intervene with Comey. McGahn recalled Bente telling him in calls that day that he did not think it was sustainable for Comey to stay on as FBI director for the next four years, which McGahn said he conveyed to the president. Bente did not recall discussing with McGahn or anyone else the idea that Comey should not continue as FBI director. 3. The president asked intelligence community leaders to make public statements that he had no connection to Russia. In the weeks following Comey's March 20, 2017 testimony, the president repeatedly asked intelligence community officials to push back publicly on any suggestion that the president had a connection to the Russia election interference effort. On March 22, 2017, the president asked Director of National Intelligence Daniel Coates and CIA Director Michael Pompeo to stay behind the Oval Office after a presidential daily briefing. According to Coates, the president asked them whether they could say publicly that no link existed between him and Russia. Coates responded that the Office of the, Depart of the Director of National Intelligence, ODNI, has nothing to do with the investigations and that it was not his role to make a public statement on the Russia investigation. Pompeo had no recollection of being asked to stay behind after the March 22nd briefing, but he recalled that the president regularly urged officials to get the word out that he had not done anything wrong related to Russia. Coates told this office that the president never asked him to speak to Comey about the FBI investigation. Some ODNI staffers, however, had a different recollection of how Coates described the meeting immediately after it occurred. According to senior ODNI official Michael Dempsey, Coates said after the meeting that the president had brought up the Russia investigation and asked him to contact Comey to see if there was a way to get past the investigation, get, over, get it over with, end it, or words to that effect. Dempsey said that Coates described the president's comments as falling somewhere between musing about hating the investigation and wanting Coates to do something to stop it. Dempsey said Coates made it clear that he would not get involved with an ongoing FBI investigation. Edward Gestaro, another ODNI official, recalled that right after Coates' meeting with the president on the walk from the Oval Office back to the Eisenhower Executive Office building, Coates said that the president had kept him behind to ask him what he could do to help with the investigation. 
Another ODNI staffer who had been waiting for Coates outside the Oval Office talked to Gestaro a few minutes later and recalled Gestaro reporting that Coates was upset because the president had asked him to contact Comey to convince him that there was nothing to the Russia investigation. On Saturday, on Saturday, March 25th, 2017, three days after the meeting in the Oval Office, the president called Coates and again complained about the Russia investigations, saying words to the effect of, I can't do anything with Russia. There's things I'd like to do with Russia, with trade, with ISIS. They're all over me with this. Coates told the president that the investigations were going to go on and that the best thing that he could do was to let them run their course. Coates later testified in a congressional hearing that he had never felt pressure to intervene or interfere in any way, in any shape, with shaping intelligence in a political way or in a relationship to an ongoing investigation. On March 26, 2017, the day after the president called Coates and the president called NSA Director Admiral Michael Rogers, the president expressed frustration with the Russia investigation, saying that it made relations with, Russia's, with Russians difficult. The president told Rogers the thing with the Russians was messing up his ability to get things done with Russia. The president also said that the news stories linking him to Russia were not true and asked if Ro and asked Rogers if he could do anything to refute the story. Deputy Director of the NSA, Richard Leggett, who was present for the call, said it was one of the most unusual things that he had experienced in 40 years of government service. After the call concluded, Leggett prepared a memorandum that he and Rogers both signed documenting the content of the conversation and the president's request, and they placed the memorandum in a safe. But Rogers did not perceive the president's request to be in order, and the president did not ask Rogers to push back on Russia investigation itself. Rogers later testified in a congressional hearing that the NSA director, he had never been directed to do anything he believed to be illegal, immoral, unethical, or inappropriate, and did not recall ever feeling pressured to do so. In addition to the specific comments made by Coates, Pompeo, and Rogers, the president spoke on other occasions in the presence of intelligence community officials about the Russia investigation and stated that it interfered with his ability to conduct foreign relations. On at least two occasions, the president began presidential daily briefings by stating that there was no collusion with Russia, and he, and he hoped a press statement to that effect could be issued. Pompeo recalled that the president vented about the investigation on multiple occasions, complaining that there was no evidence against him and that nobody could publicly defend him. Rogers recalled a private conversation with the president in which he vented about the investigation, said that he had done nothing wrong, and said something like, Russia's thing has got to go away. Coates recalled that the president bringing up the Russia investigation several times, and that Coates said he finally told the president that Coates' job was to provide intelligence and not get involved in investigations. Number four. The president asked Comey to lift a cloud created by the Russia investigation. On the morning of March 30th, 2017, the president reached out to Comey directly about the Russia investigation. According to Comey, contemporaneous record of the conversation, the president said he was trying to run the country and the cloud of the Russia business was making that difficult. The president asked Comey what could be done to lift the cloud. Comey explained that we were running it down as quickly as possible and that there would be great benefit if we didn't find anything to our good housekeeping seal of approval, but we had to do our work. 
Comey also told the president that congressional leaders were aware that the FBI was not investigating the president personally. The president said several times, we need to get that fact out. The president commented that there was some satellite, which Comey took to mean an associate of the president's or the campaign, that did something. It would be good to find that out but that he himself had not done anything wrong and that he hoped Comey would find a way to get out that we weren't investigating him. After the call ended, Comey called Bente and told him about the conversation, asked for guidance on how to respond, and said he was uncomfortable with direct contact from the president about the investigation. On the morning of April 11, 2017, the president called Comey again. According to Comey's contemporaneous record of the conversation, the president said he was following up to see if Comey did what the president had asked last time, getting out that he personally is not under investigation. Comey responded that he had passed the request to Bente, but not heard back, and he informed the president that the traditional channel for such a request would be to have the White House counsel contact DOJ leadership. The president said that he would take that step. The president then added, because I've been very loyal to you, very loyal, we had that thing, you know? In a televised interview that was taped early that afternoon, the president was asked if it was too late for him to ask Comey to step down, and the president responded, no, it's not too late, but you know, I have confidence in him, we'll see what happens. You know, it's going to be interesting. After the interview, Hicks told the president that, she thought the president's comments about Comey should be removed from the broadcast of the interview, but the president wanted to keep it in, which Hicks thought was unusual. Later that day, the president told senior advisors, including McGahn and Priebus, that he had reached out to Comey twice in recent weeks. The president acknowledged that McGahn would not approve of the outreach to Comey because McGahn had previously cautioned the president that he should not talk to Comey directly to prevent any perception that the White House was interfering with the investigations. The president told McGahn that Comey had indicated the FBI would make a public statement that the president was not under investigation if the Department of Justice approved that action. After speaking to the president, McGahn followed up with Bente to relay the president's understanding that the FBI could make a public announcement if the Department of Justice cleared it. McGahn recalled that Bente said Comey had told him that there was nothing obstructive about the calls from the president, but they made Comey uncomfortable. According to McGahn, Bente responded that he did not want to issue a statement about the president not being under investigation because of the potential political ramifications and did not want to order Comey to do it because that action could prompt the appointment of a special counsel. Bente did not recall that the that aspect of the conversations with McGahn, but did recall telling McGahn that the direct outreaches from the president to Comey were a problem. Bente recalled that McGahn agreed and said that he would do what he could to address that issue. Analysis In analyzing the president's reaction to Sessions' recusal and the request that he made to Coates, Pompeo, Rogers, and Comey, the following evidence is relevant to the elements of obstruction of justice. A. Obstructive Act. The evidence shows that after Comey's March 20, 2017 testimony, the president repeatedly reached out to the intelligence agency leaders to discuss the FBI's investigation. But witnesses had different recollections of the precise content of those outreaches. Some ODNI officials recalled that Coates told them immediately after the March 22nd Oval Office meeting that the president asked Coates to intervene with Comey and stop the investigation. 
But the first-hand witnesses to the encounter remember the conversation differently. Pompeo had no memory of the specific meeting, but generally recalled the president urging officials to get the word out that the president had not done anything wrong related to Russia. Coates recalled that the president asked that Coates state publicly that no link existed between the president and Russia, but did not ask him to speak with Comey or to help in the investigation. The other outreaches by the president during this period of time were similar in nature. The president asked Rogers if he could do anything to refute the stories linking the president to Russia, and the president asked Comey to make a public statement that would lift the cloud of the ongoing investigation by making clear that the president was not personally under investigation. These requests were significant uh, enough that Rogers thought it important to document the encounter in a written memorandum um, were not interpreted by the officials who received them as directives to improperly interfere with the investigation. B. Nexus to a proceeding. At the time, the president outreaches to leaders of the intelligence agencies in late March and early April 2017, the FBI's Russia investigation did not yet involve grand jury proceedings. The outreaches, however, came after and were in response to Comey's March 20, 2017 announcement that the FBI, as part of its counterintelligence mission, was conducting an investigation into the Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. Comey testified that the investigation included any links or coordination with Trump campaign officials and would include an assessment of whether any crimes were committed. C. Intent As described above, the evidence does not establish that the president asked or directed intelligence agency leaders to stop or interfere with the FBI's Russia investigation, and the president affirmatively told Comey that if some satellite was was involved in Russian election interference, it would be good to find that out. But the president's intent in finding out to prevent Sessions' recusal and in reaching out to Coates, Pompeo, Rogers, and Comey following Comey's public announcement of the FBI Russia investigation is nevertheless relevant to understanding that, the motivated, that what motivated the president's other actions towards the investigation. The evidence shows that the president was focused on the Russia investigation's implications for his presidency, and specifically on dispelling any suggestion that he was under investigation or had links to Russia. In early March, the president attempted to prevent Sessions' recusal even after being told that Sessions was following DOJ conflict of interest rules. After Sessions recused, the White House Counsel's Office tried to cut off further contact with Sessions about the matter, although it was not clear whether that direction was conveyed to the President. The President continued to raise the issue of Sessions' recusal, and when he had the opportunity, he pulled Sessions aside and urged him to unrecuse. The President also told advisors that he wanted an Attorney General who would protect him, the way he perceived Robert Kennedy and Eric Holder to have protected their Presidents. The President made statements about being able to direct the course of criminal investigations, saying words to the effect of, You're telling me that Bobby and Jack didn't talk about the investigations, or Obama didn't tell Eric Holder who to investigate? After Comey publicly confirmed the existence of the FBI's Russia investigation on March 20, 2017, the president was beside himself and expressed anger that Comey did not issue a statement correcting any misperception that the president himself was under an investigation. The president sought to speak with acting attorney general Bente directly and told McGahn to contact Bente in request that Comey make a clarifying statement. 
The president then asked other intelligence community leaders to make public statements to refute the suggestion that the president had links to Russia, but the leaders told him that they could not publicly comment on the investigation. On March 30th and April 11th, against the advice of White House advisors who had informed him on that any direct contact with the FBI could be perceived as improper interference in an ongoing investigation, the president made personal outreaches to Comey, asking him to lift the cloud of the Russia investigation by making public the fact that the president was not personally under investigation. Evidence indicates that the president was angered by both the existence of the Russia investigation and the public reporting that he was under investigation, which he knew was not true based on Comey's representations. The president complained to advisors that if people thought Russia helped him win the election, it could detract from what he had accomplished. Other evidence indicates that the president was concerned about the impact of Russia's investigation on his ability to govern. The president complained that the perception that he was under investigation was hurting his ability to conduct foreign relations, particularly with Russia. The president told Coates that he can't do anything with Russia, and he told Rogers that the thing with the Russians was interfering his ability to conduct foreign affairs, and he told Comey that he was trying to run the country, and the cloud of the Russia business was making that difficult. D. Events leading up to and surrounding the termination of FBI Director Comey. Overview. Comey was scheduled to testify before Congress on May 3, 2017. Leading up to the testimony, the president continued to tell advisors that he wanted Comey to make public that the president was not under investigation. At the hearing, Comey declined to answer questions about the scope or subjects of the Russia investigation and did not state publicly that the president was not under investigation. Two days later, on May 5, 2017, the president told close aides he was going to fire Comey, and on May 9th, he did so using his official termination letter to make public that Comey had, on three occasions, informed the president that he was not under investigation. The president decided to fire Comey before receiving advice or a recommendation from the Department of Justice, but he approved an initial public account of the termination that attributed it to a recommendation from the Department of Justice based on Comey's handling of the Clinton email investigation. After Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein resisted attributing the firing to his recommendation, the president acknowledged that he intended to fire Comey regardless of the DOJ recommendation and was thinking of the Russia investigation when he made the decision. The president also told the foreign minister of Russia, I just fired the head of the FBI. He was a crazy, a real nut job. I faced great pressure because of Russia. That's taken off. I'm not under investigation. Evidence. Number one. Comey testifies before the Senate Judiciary Committee and declines to answer questions about whether the president is under investigation. On May 3, 2017, Comey was scheduled to testify at an FBI oversight hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee. McGahn recalled that in the week leading up to the hearing, the president said that it would be the last straw if Comey did not take the opportunity to set the record straight by publicly announcing that the president was not under investigation. The pre president had previously told McGahn that the perception that the president was under investigation was hurting his ability to carry out his, carry out his presidential duties and deal with foreign leaders. At the hearing, Comey declined to answer questions about the status of the Russia investigation, stating, 
The Department of Justice has authorized me to confirm that the Russia investigation exists, but that he was not going to say another word about it until the investigation was completed. Comey also declined to answer questions about whether investigators had ruled out anyone in the Trump campaign as potentially a target of the criminal investigation, including whether the FBI had ruled out the President of the United States. Comey was also asked at the hearing about his decision to announce 11 days before the presidential election that the FBI was reopening the Clinton email investigation. Comey stated that it made him mildly nauseous to think that we might have had some impact on the election, but added that, even in hindsight, he would make the same decision. He later repeated that he had no regrets about how he handled the email investigation and believed he had done the right thing at each turn. In the afternoon following Comey's testimony, the president met with McCann, Sessions, and Sessions Chief of Staff Jody Hunt. At that meeting, the president asked McGahn how Comey had done in his testimony, and McGahn relayed that Comey had declined to answer questions about whether the president was under investigation. The president became very upset and directed his anger at Sessions. According to notes written by Hunt, the president said, This is terrible, Jeff. It's all because you recused. AG is supposed to be the most important appointment. Kennedy appointed his brother. Obama appointed Holder. I appointed you, and you recused yourself. You left me on an island. I can't do anything. The president said that the recusal was unfair and that it was interfering with his ability to govern and undermining his authority with foreign leaders. Sessions responded that he had no choice to be recuse, and it was mandatory rather than a discretionary, discretionary decision. Hunt recalled that Sessions also stated at some point during the conversation that a new start at the FBI would be appropriate and the president should consider replacing Comey as FBI director. According to Sessions, when the meeting concluded, it was clear that the president was unhappy with Comey, but Sessions did not think the president had made the decision to terminate Comey. Bannon recalled that the president brought Comey up with him at least eight times on May 3rd and 4th, 2017. According to Bannon, the president said the same thing each time. He told me three times I'm not under investigation. He's a showboater. He's a grandstander. I don't know any Russians. There was no collusion. Bannon told the president that he could not fire Comey because that ship had sailed. Bannon also told the president that firing Comey was not going to stop the investigation, cautioning him that he could fire the FBI director, but could not fire the FBI. Number two, the president makes the decision to terminate Comey. The weekend following Comey's May 3, 2017 testimony, the president traveled to his resort in Bedmin Bedminster, uh, New Jersey, at a dinner on Friday, May 5th, attended by the president and various advisors and family members, including Jared Kushner and senior advisor Stephen Miller, the president stated that he wanted to remove Comey and had ideas for a letter that would be, that would be used to make the announcement. The president dictated arguments and specific language for the letter, and Miller took notes. As reflected in the notes, the president told Miller that the letter should start, 
While I greatly appreciate you informing the, me that I am not under investigation concerning what I have often stated is a fabricated story on a Trump-Russia relationship pertaining to the 2016 presidential election, please be informed that I, and I believe the American public, including D's and R's, have lost faith in you as director of the FBI. Following the dinner, Miller prepared a termination letter based on these notes and research he conducted to support the president's arguments. Over the weekend, the president provided several rounds of edits on the draft letter. Miller said the president was adamant that he not tell anyone at the White House what they were preparing because the president was worried about leaks. In his discussion with Miller, the president made clear that he wanted the letter to open with a reference to him not being under investigation. Miller said he believed the fact was important to the president to show that Comey was not being terminated based on any such investigation. According to Miller, the president wanted to establish as a factual matter that Comey had been under a review period and did not have assurance from the president that he would be permitted to keep his job. The final version of the termination letter prepared by Miller and the president began in a way that closely tracked what the president had dictated to Miller at the May 5th dinner. Dear Director Comey, while I greatly appreciate your informing me on three separate occasions that I am not under investigation concerning the fabricated and politically motivated allegations of the Trump-Russia relationship with respect to the 2016 presidential election, please be informed that I, along with members of both political parties, and most importantly, the American public, have lost faith in you as the director of the FBI and you are hereby terminated. The four-page letter went on to critique Comey's judgment and conduct, including his May 3rd testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee, his handling of the Clinton email investigation, and his failure to hold leakers accountable. The letter stated that Comey had asked the president at dinner shortly after inauguration to let Comey stay on in the director's role, and the president said that he would consider it but the president had concluded that he had no alternative but to find new leadership for the Bureau, a leader that restores confidence and trust. In the morning of Monday, May 8, 2017, the president met in the Oval Office with senior advisors, including McGahn, Priebus, and Miller, I'm sorry, Miller, and informed them he had decided to terminate Comey. The president read aloud the first paragraphs of the termination letter he wrote, with Miller and conveyed that the decision had been made and was not up for discussion. The president told the group that Miller had researched the issue and determined the president had the authority to terminate Comey without cause. In an effort to slow down the decision-making process, McGahn told the president that DOJ leadership was currently discussing Comey's status and suggested that White House counsel's office attorneys should talk with Sessions and Rod Rosenstein who had recently been confirmed as a deputy attorney general. McGahn said that previously scheduled meetings with Sessions and Rosenstein that day would be an opportunity to find out what they thought about firing Comey. At noon, Sessions, Rosenstein, and Hunt met with McGahn and White House counsel's office attorney, Utam Dillon, at the White House. McGahn and the president had decided to fire Comey and asked for Sessions and Rosenstein's reviews. Session and Rosenstein criticized Comey and did not raise concerns about replacing him. 
Again, and Dillon said that the fact that neither Sessions nor Rosenstein objected to replacing Comey gave them peace of mind that the president's decision to fire Comey was not an attempt to obstruct justice. An old office meeting with the scheduled later that day so that Sessions and Rosenstein could discuss the issue with the president. At around 5 p.m., the president and several White House officials met with Sessions and Rosenstein to discuss Comey. The president told the group that he had watched Comey's May 3rd testimony over the weekend and thought that something was not right with Comey. The president said that Comey should be removed and asked Sessions and Rosenstein for their views. Hunt, who was in the room, recalled that Sessions responded that he had previously recommended that Comey be replaced. McGahn and Dillon said Rosenstein described his concerns about Comey's handling of the Clinton email investigation. The president then distributed copies of the termination letter he had drafted with Miller, and the discussion turned to the mechanics of how to fire Comey and whether the president's letter should be used. McGahn and Dillon urged the president to, prevent, to permit Comey to resign, but the president was adamant that he be fired. The group discussed the possibility that Rosenstein and Sessions could provide a recommendation in writing that Comey should be removed. The president agreed and told Rosenstein to draft a memorandum, but said he wanted to re review it first the next morning. Hunt's notes reflect that the president told Rosenstein to include in his recommendation the fact that Comey had refused to confirm that the president was not personally under investigation. According to notes taken by a senior DOJ official of Rosenstein's description of this meeting with the president, the president said, Put the Russia stuff in the memo. Rosenstein responded that the Russia investigation was not the basis of his recommendation, so he did not think Russia should be mentioned. The president told Rosenstein he would appreciate if Rosenstein put it in his letter anyway. When Rosenstein left the meeting, he knew that Comey would be terminated, and he told DOJ, DOJ colleagues that his own reasons for replacing Comey were not the president's reasons. On May 9th, Hunt delivered to the White House a letter from Sessions recommending Comey's removal and a memorandum from Rosenstein addressed to the Attorney General titled, Restoring Public Confidence in the FBI. McGahn recalled that the president liked the DOJ letters and agreed that they should provide the foundation for a new cover letter from the president accepting the recommendation to terminate Comey. Notes taken by Donaldson on May 9th reflecting the view of the White House Counsel's Office that the president's original termination letter should not see the light of day and that it would be better off to offer no other rationales for the firing than what was in Rosenstein and Sessions' memorandum. The president asked Miller to draft a new termination letter and directed Miller to say in the letter that Comey had informed the president three times that he was not under investigation. McGahn, Priebus, and Dillon objected in, to including that language, but the president insisted that it be included. McGahn, Priebus, and other, others perceived that language to be the most important part of the letter to the president. Dillon made a final pitch to the president that Comey should be permitted to resign, but the president refused. Around the time the president's letter was finalized, Priebus summoned Spicer and the press team to the Oval Office, where they were told that Comey had been terminated for the reasons stated in the letters by Rosenstein and Sessions. To announce Comey's termination, the White House released a statement, which Priebus thought had been dictated by the president. In full, the statement read, 
Today, President Donald J. Trump informed FBI Director James Comey that he has been terminated and removed from office. President Trump acted based on the clear recommendations of both Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and Attorney General Jeff Sessions. That evening, FBI Director, Deputy Director Andrew, Andrew McCabe was summoned to meet with the President at the White House. The President told McCabe that he had fired Comey because of the decisions Comey's, Comey had made in the Clinton email investigation and for many other reasons. The President asked McCabe if he was aware that Comey had told the President three times that he was not under investigation. The President also asked McCabe whether many people in the FBI disliked Comey and whether McCabe was part of the resistance that had disagreed with Comey's decisions in the Clinton investigation. McCabe told the President that he knew Comey and had told the President he was not under investigation, that most people in the FBI felt positively about Comey, and that McCabe worked very closely with Comey and was part of all the decisions that had been made in the Clinton investigation. Later that evening, the president told his communications team he was unhappy with the press coverage of Comey's termination and ordered them to go out and defend him. The president also called Chris Christie and, according to Christie, said he was getting killed in the press about Comey's termination. The president asked what he should do. Christie asked, did you fire Comey because of what Rod wrote in the memo? And the president responded, yes. Christie said the president should get Rod out there and have him defend the decision. The president told Christie that that was a good idea and said he was going to call Rosenstein right away. That night, the White House press office called the Department of Justice and said the White House wanted to put out a statement saying that it was Rosenstein's idea to fire Comey. Rosenstein told other DOJ officials that he would not participate in putting out a false story. The president then called Rosenstein directly and said he was watching Fox News, that the coverage had been great, and that he wanted Rosenstein to do a press conference. Rosenstein responded that this was not a, a good idea because if the press asked him, he would tell the truth that Comey's firing was not his idea. Sessions also informed the White House Counsel's Office that evening that Rosenstein was upset that his memorandum was being portrayed as the reason for Comey's termination. In an unplanned press conference later in the evening of May 9, 2017, Spicer told reporters, it was all Rosenstein, no one from the White House. It was a DOJ decision. That evening and the next morning, White House officials and spokespeople continued to maintain that the president's decision to terminate Comey was driven by the recommendations the president received from Rosenstein and Sessions. In the morning on May 10, 2017, President Trump met with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov and Russian Ambassador Sergei Kiziliak in the Oval Office. The media subsequently reported that during the May 10th meeting, the president brought up his decision the prior day to terminate Comey, telling Lavrov and Kislyak, I just fired the head of the FBI. He was a crazy, a real nut job. I faced great pressure because of Russia. That's taken off now. I'm not under investigation. The president never denied making those statements, and the White House did not dispute the account. Instead, issuing a statement that said, by grandstanding and politicizing the investigation into Russia's actions, James Comey created unnecessary pressure on our ability to engage and negotiate with Russia. 
The investigation would have always continued, and obviously the termination of Comey would not have ended it. Once again, the real story is that our national security has been undermined by the leaking of private and highly classified information. Hicks said that when she told the president about the reports on his meeting with Lavrov, he did not look concerned and said of Comey, He is crazy. When McGahn asked the president about his comments to Lavrov, the president said it was good that Comey was fired because that took the pressure off by making it clear that he was not under investigation so he could get more work done. That same morning on May 10, 2017, the president called McCabe. According to a memorandum McCabe wrote following the call, the president asked McCabe to come over to the White House to discuss whether the president should visit FBI headquarters and make a speech to employees. The president said he had received hundreds of messages from FBI employees indicating their support for terminating Comey. The president also told McCabe that Comey should not have been permitted to travel back to Washington, D.C. on the FBI's airplane after he had been terminated and that he did not want Comey in the building again, even to collect his belongings. When McCabe met with the president that afternoon, the president, without prompting, told McCabe that people in the FBI loved the president, estimated that at least 80% of the FBI had voted for him, and asked McCabe who he had voted for in the 2016 presidential election. In the afternoon of May 10, 2017, Deputy Press Secretary Sarah Sanders spoke to the president about his decision to fire Comey and then spoke to reporters in a televised press conference. Sanders told reporters that the president, the Department of Justice, and bipartisan members of Congress had lost confidence in Comey. And most importantly, the rank and file of the FBI had lost confidence in their director. Accordingly, the president accepted the recommendation of his deputy attorney general to remove James Comey from his position. In response to questions from reporters, Sanders said that Rosenstein decided on his own to review Comey's performance and that Rosenstein decided on his own to come to the president on Monday, May 8th, to express his concerns about Comey. When a reporter indicated that the vast majority of FBI agents supported Comey, Sanders said, Look, we've heard from countless members of the FBI, and they say very different things. Following the press conference, Sanders spoke to the president, who told her she did a good job and did not point out any inaccuracies in her comments. Sanders told this office that her reference to hearing from countless members of the FBI was a slip of the tongue. She also recalled that her statement in a separate press interview that rank-and-file FBI agents had lost confidence in Comey was a comment she made in the heat of the moment that was not founded on anything. Also on May 10, 2017, Sessions and Rosenstein each spoke to McGahn and expressed concern that the White House was creating a narrative that Rosenstein had initiated the decision to fire Comey. The White House Counsel's Office agreed that it was factually wrong to say the Department of Justice had initiated Comey's termination. And McGahn asked attorneys in the White House Counsel's Office to work with the pre press office to correct the narrative. The next day, on May 11, 2017, the president participated in an interview with Lester Holt. The president told White House Counsel's Office attorneys in advance of the interview that the communications teams could not get the story right, so he was going on Lester Holt to say what really happened. During the interview, 
the president stated he had made the decision to fire Comey before the president met with Rosenstein in sessions. The president told Holt, I was going to fire regardless of recommendation. Rosenstein made a recommendation, but regardless of his recommendation, I was going to fire Comey knowing there was no good time to do it. The president continued, and in fact, when I decided to do it, I said to myself, I said, you know, this Russia thing with Trump and Russia is a made-up story. It's an excuse by the Democrats for having lost an election they should have won. In response to a question about whether he was angry with Comey about the Russia investigation, the president said, as far as I'm concerned, I want that thing to be absolutely done properly. The president added that he realized his termination of Comey probably maybe will confuse people with the result that it might even lengthen out the investigation. But he had to do the right thing for the American people, and Comey was the wrong man for that position. The president described Comey as a showboat and a grandstander, said that the FBI had been in turmoil, and said he wanted to have a really competent, capable director. The president affirmed that he expected the new FBI director to continue the Russia investigation. On the evening of May 11, 2017, following the Lester Holt interview, the president tweeted, Russia must be laughing up their sleeves watching as the U.S. tears itself apart over a Democrat excuse for losing the election. The same day, the media reported that the president had demanded that Comey pledges loyalty to the president in a private dinner shortly after being sworn in. Late in the morning of May 12, 2017, the president tweeted, Again, the story that there was collusion between the Russians and Trump campaign was fabricated by Dems as an excuse for losing the election. The president also tweeted, James Comey better hope that there are no tapes of our conversation before he starts leaking to the press. And when James Clapper himself and virtually everyone else with knowledge of the witch hunt says there is no collusion, when does it end? Analysis. In analyzing the president's decision to fire Comey, the following evidence is relevant to the elements of obstruction of justice. A. Obstructive Act. The act of firing Comey removed the individual overseeing the FBI's Russia investigation. The president knew that Comey was personally involved in the investigation based on Comey's briefing of the Gang of Eight. Comey's March 20, 2017 public testimony about the investigation and the president's one-on-one conversation with Comey. Firing Comey would qualify as an obstructive act if it had the natural and probable effect of interfering with or impeding the investigation. For example, if the termination would have the effect of delaying or disrupting the investigation or providing the president with the opportunity to appoint a director who would take a different approach to the investigation that the president perceived as more protective of his personal interests. Relevant circumstances bearing on that issue include whether the president's actions have the potential to discourage a successor director or other law enforcement official in their conduct of the Russia investigation. The president fired Comey abruptly without offering him an opportunity to resign, banned him from FBI, the FBI building and criticized him publicly, calling him a showboat and claiming that the FBI was in turmoil under his leadership. And the president followed the termination with public statements that were highly critical of the investigation. For example, 
Three days after firing Comey, the president referred to the investigation as a witch hunt and asked, when does it end? Those actions had the potential to affect the successor director's conduct of the investigation. The anticipated effect of removing the FBI director, however, would not necessarily be to prevent or impede the FBI from continuing its investigation. As a general matter, FBI investigations run under the operational direction of FBI personnel levels below the FBI director. Bannon made a similar point when he told the president that he could fire the FBI director, but could not fire the FBI. The White House issued a press statement the day after Comey was fired that said, the investigation would have always continued, and obviously the termination of Comey would not have ended it. In addition, in his May 11th interview with Lester Holt, the president stated that he understood when he made the decision to fire Comey that the action might prolong the investigation. And the president chose McCabe to serve as interim director, even though McCabe told the president he had worked very closely with Comey and was part of all the decisions made in the Clinton investigation. B. Nexus to a proceeding. The nexus element would be satisfied by evidence showing that a grand jury proceeding or criminal prosecution arising from an FBI investigation was objectively foreseeable and actually contemplated by the president when he terminated Comey. Several facts would, have, would be relevant to, show, to such a showing. At the time the president fired Comey, a grand jury had not begun to hear evidence related to the Russia investigation, and no grand jury subpoenas had been issued. On March 20, 2017, however, Comey had announced that the FBI was investigating Russia's interference in the election, including an assessment of whether any crimes were committed. It was widely known that the FBI, as part of the Russia investigation, was investigating the hacking of the DNC's computers, a clear criminal offense. In addition, at the time the president fired Comey, evidence indicates the president knew that Flynn was still under criminal investigation and could potentially be prosecuted. Despite the president's February 14, 2017 request that Comey let Flynn go. On March 5, 2017, the White House Counsel's Office was informed that the FBI was asking for transition period records related to Flynn, indicating that the FBI was still actively investigating him. That same day, the president told the advisors he wanted to call Dana, Dana Bonte, then the acting attorney general for the Russia investigation, to find out whether the White House or the president was being investigated. On March 31, 2017, the president signaled, signaled his awareness that Flynn remained in legal jeopardy by tweeting that Mike Flynn should ask for immunity before he agreed to provide testimony to the FBI or Congress. And in late March or early April, the president asked McFarland to pass a message to Flynn telling him that the president felt bad for him and that he should stay strong further demonstrating the president's awareness of Flynn's criminal exposure. C. Intent. Substantial evidence indicates that the catalyst for the president's decision to fire Comey was Comey's unwillingness to publicly state that the president was not personally under investigation, despite the president's repeated requests that Comey make such an announcement. In the week leading up to Comey's May 3, 2017 Senate Judiciary Committee testimony, the president told McGahn that it would be the last straw if Comey did not set the record straight and publicly announced that the president was not under investigation. 
But during his May 3rd testimony, Comey refused to answer questions about whether the president was being investigated. Comey's refusal angered the president, who criticized Sessions for leaving him isolated and exposed, saying, you left me on an island. Two days later, the president told advisors he had decided to fire Comey and dictated a letter to Stephen Miller that began with a reference to the fact that the president was not being investigated. While I greatly appreciate you informing me that I am not under investigation, concerning what I have often stated is a fabricated story on a Trump-Russia relationship. The president later asked Rosenstein to include Russia in his memorandum and to say that Comey had told the president that he was not under investigation. And the president's final termination letter included a sentence, at the president's insistence and against McGahn's advice, stating that Comey had told the president on three separate occasions that he was not under investigation. The president's other stated rationales for why he fired Comey are not similarly supported by the evidence. The termination letter the president and Stephen Miller prepared in Bedminster, New Jersey, cited Comey's handling of the Clinton email investigation, and the president told McCabe he fired Comey for that reason. But the facts surrounding Comey's handling of the email investigation were well known to the president at the time he assumed office, and the president had made it clear to both Comey and the president's senior staff in early 2017 that he wanted Comey to stay on as a director. And Rosenstein articulated his criticism of Comey's handling of the Clinton investigation after the president had already decided to fire Comey. The president's draft termination letter also stated that morale in the FBI was at an all-time low, and Sanders told the press after Comey's termination that the White House had heard from countless FBI agents who had lost confidence in Comey. But the evidence does not support those claims. The president told Comey at their January 27th dinner that the people of the FBI really like him. No evidence suggests the president heard otherwise before deciding to terminate Comey, and Sanders acknowledged to investigators that her comments were not founded on anything. We also considered why it was important to the president that Comey announced publicly that he was not under investigation. Some evidence indicates that the president believed that the erroneous perception that he was under investigation harmed his ability to manage domestic and foreign affairs, particularly in dealings with Russia. The president told Comey that the cloud of the Russia business was making it difficult to run the country. The president told Sessions and McGahn that foreign leaders had expressed sympathy to him for being under investigation and that the perception that he was under investigation was hurting his ability to address foreign relations issues. The president complained to Rogers that the thing with the Russians was messing up his ability to get things done with Russia and told Coates, I can't do anything with Russia. There's things I'd like to do with Russia, with trade, with ISIS. They're all over me with this. The president also may have viewed Comey as insubordinate in his failure to make clear in the May 3rd testimony that the president was not under investigation. Other evidence, however, indicates that the president wanted to protect himself from an investigation into his campaign. The day after learning about the FBI's interview of Flynn, the president had a one-on-one -on -one dinner with Comey against the advice of senior aides and told Comey he needed Comey's loyalty. When the president later asked Comey for a second time to make publicly that he was not under investigation, he brought up loyalty again, saying, because I have been very loyal to you, very loyal, we have that thing, you know? 
After the president learned of Sessions' recusal from the Russia investigation, the president was furious and said that he wanted an attorney general who could protect him the way that he perceived Robert Kennedy and Eric Holder to have protected their presidents. The president also said that he wanted to be able to tell his attorney general who to investigate. (laughs) Of course he did. In addition, the president had a motive to put the FBI's Russia investigation behind him. The evidence does not establish that the termination of Comey was designed to cover up a conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russia. As described in Volume 1, the evidence uncovered the investigation did not establish that the president or those close to him were involved in the, cha- in the charge Russian computer hacking or active measure conspiracies, or that he, the president, otherwise had an unlawful relationship with any Russian official. But the evidence does indicate that through FBI investigation would cover up facts about the campaign and the president personally that the president could have understood to be crimes or that would give rise to personal and political concerns. Although the president publicly stated during and after the election that he had no connection to Russia, the Trump organization, through Michael Cohen, was pursuing the proposed Trump Tower Moscow project through June 2016, and candidate Trump was repeatedly briefed on the progress of those efforts. In addition, some witness said that Trump was aware that... Redacted. Harm to an ongoing matter. At the time when public reports stated that Russian intelligence officials were behind the hacks and that Trump privately sought information about future WikiLeaks releases. More broadly, multiple witnesses described the president's preoccupation with the press coverage of the Russia investigation and his persistent concern that it raised questions about the legitimacy of his election. Finally, the president and the White House aides initially advanced a pretextual reason to the press and the public for Comey's termination. In the immediate aftermath of the firing, the president dictated a press statement suggesting that he had acted based on the DOJ recommendations, and White House press officials repeated that story. But the president had decided to fire Comey before the White House solicited these recommendations. Although the president ultimately acknowledged that he was going to fire Comey regardless of the Department of Justice's recommendations, he did so only after DOJ officials made clear to him that they would resist the White House's suggestion that they had prompted the process that led to Comey's termination. The initial reliance on a pretextual justification could support an inference that the president had concerns about providing the real reason for the firing, although the evidence does not resolve whether those concerns were personal, political, or both. E. The president's efforts to remove the special counsel. Overview. The acting attorney general appointed a special counsel on May 17, 2017, prompting the president to state that it was the end of his presidency and that Attorney General Sessions had failed to protect him and he should resign. Sessions submitted his resignation, which the president ultimately did not accept. The president told senior advisors that the special counsel had conflictions of interest, but they responded on those claims that they were ridiculous and posed no obstacle to the special counsel service. Department of Justice ethics officials similarly cleared the special counsel's service. On June 14, 2017, the press reported that the president was being personally investigated for obstruction of justice, and the president responded with a series of tweets criticizing the special counsel's investigation. That weekend, the president called McGahn and directed him to have the special counsel removed because of asserted conflicts of interest. McGahn did not carry out the instruction for fear of being seen as triggering another Saturday night massacre and instead prepared to resign. McGahn ultimately did not quit 
and the president did not follow up with McGahn on his request to have the special counsel removed. Evidence 1. The appointment of a special counsel in the president's reaction. On May 17, 2017, the Acting Attorney General Rosenstein appointed Robert S. Mueller III as special counsel and authorized him to conduct the Russia investigation in matters that arose from the investigation. The President learned of the special counsel's appointment from Sessions, who was with the President, Hunt, and McGahn, conducting interviews for a new FBI director. Sessions stepped out of the Oval Office to take a call from Rosenstein, who told him about the special counsel appointment and Sessions then returned to inform the president of the news. According to the notes written by Hunt, when Sessions told the president that a special counsel had been appointed, the president slumped back in his chair and said, Oh my God, this is terrible. This is the end of my presidency. I'm fucked. The president became angry and lambasted the attorney general for his decision to recuse from the investigation, stating, How could you let this happen, Jeff? The president said the position of attorney general was his most important appointment and that Sessions had let him down, contrasting, er, con, yeah, contrasting him to Eric Holder and Robert Kennedy. Sessions recalled that the president said to him, you were supposed to protect me, or words to that effect. The president returned to the consequences of the appointment and said, everyone tells me that if you get one of these independent councils, it ruins your presidency. It takes years and years, and I won't be able to do anything. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. The president then told Sessions that he should resign as attorney general. Sessions agreed to submit his resignation and left the Oval Office. Hicks saw the president shortly after Sessions departed and described the president as being extremely upset by the special counsel's appointment. You know, just like any innocent person would be. <laughs> Jesus. Hicks said that, he, that she had only seen the president like that one other time when the Access Hollywood tape came out during the campaign. The next day, May 18, 2017, FBI agents delivered to McGahn a preservation notice that discussed an investigation related to Comey's termination and directed the White House to preserve all relevant documents. When he received the letter, McGahn issued a document hold to White House staff and instructed them not to send out any burn bags over the weekend while he sorted things out. Also on May 18th, Sessions finalized a resignation letter that stated, Pursuant to our conversation of yesterday and at your request, I hereby offer my resignation. Sessions, accompanied by Hunt, brought the letter to the White House and handed it to the president. The president put the resignation letter in its pocket and asked Sessions several times whether he wanted to continue serving as attorney general. Sessions ultimately told the president that he wanted to stay, but it was up to the president. The president said he wanted Sessions to stay. At the conclusion of the meeting, the president shook Sessions' hand and did not return the resignation letter. When Priebus and Bannon learned that the president was holding on to Sessions' resignation letter, they became concerned that it could be used to influence the Department of Justice. Priebus told Sessions that it was not good for the president to have the letter because it would function as kind of a shock collar that the president could use at any time if he wanted. Priebus said the president had DOJ by the throat. Priebus and Bannon told Sessions they would attempt to get the letter back from the president with the no with, with notation that he was not accepting Sessions' resignation. On May 19, 2017, the president left for a trip to the Middle East. Hicks recalled that on the president's flight from Saudi Arabia to Tel Aviv, the president pulled Sessions' resignation letter out of his pocket, showed it to a group of senior advisors, and asked them what he should do about it. 
During the trip, Priebus asked about the resignation letter so that he could return it to Sessions, but the president told him that the letter was back at the White House, somewhere in the residence. It was not until May 30th, three days after the president returned from the trip, that the president returned the letter to Sessions with a notation saying, not accepted. 2. The president asserts that the special counsel has conflicts of interest. In the days following the special counsel's appointment, the president repeatedly told advisors, during, including Priebus, Bannon, and McGahn, that special counsel Mueller had conflicts of interest. The president cited his conflicts that Mueller had interviewed for the FBI director position shortly before being appointed as special counsel, that he had worked for a law firm that represented people affiliated with the president, and that Mueller had disputed certain fees relating to his membership in Trump Golf Course in Northern Virginia. The president's advisors pushed back on this assertion of conflicts, telling the president they did not count as true conflicts. Bannon recalled telling the president that the purported conflicts were ridiculous and that none of them were real and could even come close to justifying precluding Mueller from serving as a special counsel. As for Mueller's interview with the F for FBI director, Bannon recalled that the White House had invited Mueller to speak to the president to offer a perspective on the institution of the FBI. Bannon said that although the White House thought about beseeching Mueller to become director again, he did not come in looking for the job. Bannon also told the president that the law firm position did not count as a conflict in the legal community. And Bannon told the president that the golf course dispute did not rise to a level of conflict and claiming one was ridiculous and petty. The president did not respond when Bannon pushed back on the stated conflicts of interest. On May 23, 2017, the Department of Justice announced that ethics officials had determined that the special counsel's prior law firm position did not, bear, did not bar his service, generating media reports that Mueller had been cleared to serve. McGahn recalled that around the same time, the president complained about the asserted conflicts and prodded McGahn to reach out to Rosenstein about the issue. McGahn said he responded that he could not make such a call and that the president should instead consult his personal lawyer because it was not a White House issue. Contemporaneous notes of a May 23, 2017 conversation between McGahn and the president reflect that McGahn told the president that he would not call Rosenstein and that he would suggest that the president would not make such a call either. McGahn advised that the president could discuss the issue with his personal attorney, but it would look like still trying to meddle in the investigation and knocking out Mueller would be another fact used to claim obstruction of justice. McGahn told the president that his biggest exposure was not his act of firing Comey, but his other contacts and calls, and his Ask Flynn. By the time McGahn provided this advice to the president, there had been widespread reporting on the president's request for Comey's loyalty, which the president publicly denied. His request that Comey let Flynn go, which the president also denied. And the president's statement to the Russian foreign minister that the termination of Comey had relieved great pressure related to Russia, which the president did not deny. On June 8, 2017, Comey testified before Congress about his interactions with the president before his termination, including the request for loyalty, the request that Comey let Flynn go, and the request that Comey lift the cloud over the presidency caused by the ongoing investigation. Comey's testimony led to a series of news reports about whether the president had obstructed justice. On June 9, 2017, the special counsel's office informed the White House counsel's office that investigators intended to interview intelligence community officials who had allegedly been asked by the president to push back against the Russia investigation. 
On Monday, June 12, 2017, Christopher Ruddy, the chief executive of Newsmax Media and a longtime friend of the president's, met at the White House with Priebus and Bannon. Ruddy recalled that they told him the president was strongly considering firing the special counsel and that he would do so precipitously without vetting the decision through administration officials. Ruddy asked Priebus if Ruddy could talk publicly about the discussion they had about the special counsel, and Priebus said he could. Priebus told Ruddy he hoped another blow-up, like the one that followed the termination of Comey, didn't happen. Later that day, Ruddy stated in a televised interview that the president was considering perhaps terminating the special counsel based on purported conflicts of interest. Ruddy later told another news outlet that Trump is definitely considering terminating the special counsel and that it's not something that's being dismissed. Ruddy's comments led to extensive coverage on the media that the president was considering firing the special counsel. White House officials were unhappy with the press coverage and Ruddy heard from friends that the president was upset with him. On June 13, 2017, Sanders asked the president for guidance on how to respond to press inquiries about possible firing of the special counsel. The president dictated an answer, which Sanders believed, saying that while the president has every right to fire the special counsel, he has no intention to do so. On, also on June 13, 2017, the president's personal counsel contacted the special counsel's office and raised concerns about possible conflicts. The president's counsel cited Mueller's previous partnership with his law firm, his interview for the FBI director position, and an asserted personal relationship he had with Comey. That same day, Rosenstein had testified publicly before Congress and said he saw no evidence of good cause to terminate the special counsel, including for conflicts of interest. Two days later, on June 15, 2017, the special counsel's office informed the acting attorney general's office about the areas of concern raised by the president's counsel and told the president's counsel that his concerns had been communicated to Rosenstein so that the Department of Justice could take any appropriate action. 3. The press reports that the president is being investigated for obstruction of justice and the president directs the White House counsel to have the special counsel removed. On the evening of June 14, 2017, the Washington Post published an article saying that the special counsel was investigating whether the president had attempted to obstruct justice. This was the first public report that the president himself was under investigation by the special counsel's office and cable news networks quickly picked up the report. The Post story stated that the special counsel was interviewing intelligence community leaders, including Coates and Rogers, about the president, about what the president had asked him to do in response to Comey's March 20th, 2017 testimony, that the inquiry into obstruction marked a major turning point in the investigation, and that while Trump had received private insurances from the then FBI Director James B. Comey, starting in January that he was stating in January that he was not personally under investigation. Officials say that changed shortly after Comey's firing. That evening, at approximately 10.31 p.m., the president called McGahn on McGahn's personal cell phone, and they spoke for about 15 minutes. McGahn did not have a clear memory about the call, but thought they might have discussed the stories reporting that the president was under investigation. Beginning early the next day, June 15, 2017, the president issued a series of tweets acknowledging the existence of the obstruction investigation and criticizing it. He wrote, they made, up a, they made up a phony collusion with the Russian story, found zero proof, and now they go for obstruction of justice on the phone story. Nice. You are witnessing the single greatest witch hunt in American political history. Lamb has some very bad, very conflicted people. And 
Crooked H destroyed phones with hammer, bleached emails, and had husband meet with AG days before she was cleared. And they talk about obstruction? The next day, June 17, 2017, the president wrote additional tweets criticizing the investigation. After seven months of investigations and committee hearings about my collusion with the Russians, nobody's been able to show any proof. Sad. And I'm being investigated for firing the FBI director by the man who told me to fire the FBI director. Witch hunt! On Saturday, June 17, 2017, the president called McGahn and directed him to have the special counsel removed. McGahn was at home, and the president was at Camp David. In interviews with, the, with this office, McGahn recalled that the president called him at home twice and on both occasions directed him to call Rosenstein and say that Mueller had conflicts that precluded him from serving as the special counsel. On the first call, McGahn recalled that the president said something like, you gotta do this, you gotta call Rod. McGahn said that he told the president he would see what he could do. McGahn was perturbed by the call and did not intend to act on the request. He and other advisors believed the asserted conflicts were silly and not real, and they had previously communicated that view to the president. McGahn had also made clear that the president, to the president that the White House Counsel's office should not be involved in any effort to, uh, to press the issue of conflicts. McGahn was concerned about having a, any role in asking the acting attorney general to fire the special counsel because he had grown up in the Reagan era and wanted to be more like... Judge Robert Bork and not Saturday Night Massacre Bork. <laughs> McGahn considered the president's request to be an inflection point and he wanted to hit the brakes. When the president called McGahn a second time to follow up on the order to call the Department of Justice, McGahn recalled that the president was more direct in saying something like, Call Rod, tell Rod that Mueller has conflicts and can't be the special counsel. McGahn recalled the president telling him, Mueller has to go. And call me back when you do it. McGahn understood the president to be saying that the special counsel had to be removed by Rosenstein. To end the conversation with the president, McGahn left the president with the impression that McGahn would call Rosenstein. McGahn recalled that he had already said no to the president's request and he was worn down. So he just wanted to get off the phone. McGahn recalled feeling trapped because he didn't plan to follow the president's directive, but didn't know what he could say the next time that the president called. McGahn decided that he had to resign. He called his personal lawyer and then called his chief of staff, Annie Donaldson, to inform her of his decision. He then drove to the office to pack his belongings and submit his resignation letter. Donaldson recalled that McGahn told her that the president had called and demanded he contact the Department of Justice and that the president wanted him to do something that McGahn didn't want to do. McGahn told Donaldson that the president had called at least twice and in one of the calls asked, have you done it? McGahn did not tell Donaldson the specifics of the president's request because he was, con he was consciously trying not to involve her in the investigation, but Donaldson inferred that the president's directive was related to the Russia investigation. Donaldson prepared to resign along with McGahn. That evening, McGahn called both Priebus and Bannon and told them that he intended to resign. McGahn recalled that after speaking with his attorney and given the nature of the president's request, he decided not to share details of the president's request with other White House staff. 
Priebus recalled that McGahn said that the president had asked him to do crazy shit, but he thought McGahn did not tell him the specifics of the president's request because McGahn was trying to protect Priebus from what he didn't need to know. Priebus and Bannon both urged McGahn not to quit, and McGahn ultimately returned to work that Monday and remained in his position. He had not told the president directly that he planned to resign, and when they next saw each other, the president didn't ask McGahn whether he'd followed through with Colin Rosenstein. Around the same time, Chris Christie recalled a telephone call with the president in which the president asked what Christie thought about the president firing the special counsel. Christie advised against doing so because there was no substantive basis for the president to fire a special counsel and because the president would lose support from Republicans in Congress if he did it. Analysis In analyzing the president's direction to McGahn to have the special counsel removed, the following evidence is relevant to the evidence of obstruction of justice. A. An obstructive act. As the president's firing of the co- of Comey, the attempt to remove the special counsel would qualify as an obstructive act if it were naturally to obstruct investigation and any grand jury proceedings that might flow from an inquiry. Even if the removal of the lead prosecutor would not prevent the investigation from continuing under the new appointee, a fact finder would need to consider whether the act had a potential to delay further action in the investigation, chill the actions of any replacement special counsel, or otherwise impede the investigation. A threshold question is whether the president, in fact, directed McGahn to have a special counsel removed. After news organizations reported that in June 2017, the president had ordered McGahn to have the special counsel removed, the president publicly disputed these accounts and privately told McGahn that he had simply wanted McGahn to bring conflicts of interest to the Department of Justice's attention. Some of the president's specific language that McGahn recalled from the call is consistent with that explanation. Substantial evidence, however, supports the conclusion that the president went further and in fact directed McGahn to call Rosenstein to have the special counsel removed. First, McGahn's clear recollection that the president directed him to tell Rosenstein not only that conflicts existed, but also that Mueller has to go. McGahn is a credible witness with no motive to lie or exaggerate given the position he's held in the White House. McGahn spoke with the president twice and understood the directive the same way that both both times, making it unlikely that he misheard or misinterpreted the president's request. In response to that request, McGahn decided to quit because he did not want to participate in events that he described to be akin to the Saturday Night Massacre. He called his lawyer, drove to the White House, packed up his office, prepared to submit a resignation letter with his chief of staff, told Priebus that the president had asked him to do crazy shit, and informed Priebus and Bannon that he was leaving. Those acts would be a highly unusual reaction to a request to convey information to the Department of Justice. Second, in the days before the calls to McGahn, the president, through his counsel, had already brought the asserted conflicts to the attention of the Department of Justice. Accordingly, the president had no reason to have McGahn call Rosenstein that weekend to raise conflicts issues that had already been raised. Third, the president's sense of urgency and repeated request to McGahn to make, inter- to make immediate action on a weekend, you gotta do this, you gotta call Rod, support McGahn's recollection that the president wanted the Department of Justice to take action to remove the special counsel. Had the president instead sought only to have the Department of Justice re-examined, asserted conflicts to evaluate whether they posed an ethical bar. 
It would have been unnecessary to set the process in motion on a Saturday to make repeated calls to McGahn. Finally, the president had discussed knocking out Mueller and raised conflicts of interest in a May 23, 2017 call with McGahn, reflecting that the president connected with conflicts to a plan to remove the special counsel. And in the days leading up to the June 17, 2017, the president made clear to Priebus and Bannon, who then told Ruddy that the president is considering terminating the special counsel. Also during this time period, the president reached out to Christie to get his thoughts on firing the special counsel. This evidence shows that the president was not just seeking examination of whether conflicts existed, but instead was looking to use asserted conflicts as a way to terminate the special counsel. B. Nexus to an official proceeding. To satisfy the proceeding requirement, it would be necessary to establish a nexus between the president's act of seeking to terminate the special counsel and a pending and foreseeable grand jury proceeding. Substantial, substantial evidence indicates that by June 17, 2017, the president knew his conduct was under investigation by a federal prosecutor who could present any evidence of federal crimes to a grand jury. On May 23, 2017, McGinn explicitly warned the president that, the, that his biggest exposure was not his act of firing Comey, but his other contacts and calls and his, asks, and his Ask Re Flynn. By early June, it was widely reported in the media that the federal prosecutors had issued a grand jury subpoenas in the Flynn inquiry and that the special counsel had taken over for the Flynn investigation. On June 9, 2017, the special counsel's office informed the White House that the investigators would be interviewing intelligence agency officials who, who allegedly had been asked by the president to push back against the Russia investigation. On June 14, 2017, news outlets began reporting that the president was himself being investigated for obstruction of justice. Based on widespread reporting, the president knew that such an investigation could include his request for Comey's loyalty, his request that Comey let Flynn go, his outreach to Coates and Rogers, his termination of Comey, and statement to the Russian foreign minister that the termination um, had relieved great pressure related to Russia. And on June 17, 2017, the day before he directed McGahn to have the special counsel removed, the president publicly acknowledged that his conduct was under investigation by a federal prosecutor, tweeting, I'm being investigated for firing the FBI director by the man who told me to fire the FBI director. C. Intent. Substantial evidence indicates that the president's attempts to remove the special counsel were linked to the special counsel's oversight of investigations that involved the president's conduct and most immediately to reports that the president was being investigated for potential obstruction of justice. Before the president terminated Comey, the president considered it critically important that he was not under investigation and that the public not erroneously think he was being investigated. As described in Volume 2, Section 2D, advisors perceived the president while he was drafting a Comey termination letter to be concerned more than anything else about getting out that he was not personally under investigation. When the president learned of the appointment of the special counsel on May 17, 2017, he expressed further concern about the investigation, saying, This is the end of my presidency. The president also faulted Sessions for recusing, saying, You were supposed to protect me. On June 14, 2017, when the Washington Post reported that the special counsel was investigating the president for obstruction of justice, the president was facing what he had wanted to avoid, a criminal investigation into his own conduct that was the subject of widespread media attention. The evidence indicates that news of the obstruction investigation prompted the president to call McGahn and to seek to have the special counsel removed. 
By mid-June, the Department of Justice had already cleared the special counsel service, and the president's advisors had told him that the claimed conflicts of interest were silly and did not provide a basis to remove the special counsel. On June 13, 2017, the active attorney general testified before Congress that no good cause for removing the special counsel exists, and the president dictated a press statement to Sanders saying that he had no intention of firing the special counsel. By the next day, the media reported that the president was under investigation for obstruction of justice and the special counsel was interviewing witnesses about events related to possible obstruction, spurring the president to write critical tweets about the special counsel's investigation. The president called McGahn at home that night and then called him on Saturday from Camp David. The evidence accordingly indicates that news that an obstructive Obstruction investigation had been open is what led the president to call him again and have the special counsel terminated. There's also evidence that the president knew that he was not, that he should not have made those calls to McGahn. The president made the calls to McGahn after McGahn had specifically told the president that the White House counsel's office and McGahn himself could not be involved in press and conflict claims and that the president should consult with his personal counsel if he wishes to raise conflicts. Instead of relying on his personal counsel to submit the conflict's claims, the president sought to use his official powers to remove the special counsel. And after the media reported on the president's actions, he denied that he ever ordered McGahn to have the special counsel terminated and made repeated efforts to have McGahn deny the story. As discussed in Volume 2, Section 2-1, those denials are contrary to the evidence and suggest the president's awareness that the direction to McGahn could have been seen as improper. F. The President's Efforts to Curtail the Special Counsel Investigation Overview Two days after the President directed McGahn to have the Special Counsel removed, the President made another attempt to affect the course of the Russia investigation. On June 19, 2017, the President met one-on-one -on -one with Corey Lewandowski in the Oval Office and dictated a message to be delivered to Attorney General Sessions that would have had the effect of limiting the Russia investigation to future election interference only. One month later, the president met again with Lewandowski and followed up on the request to have Sessions limit the scope of the Russia investigation. Lewandowski told the president the message would be delivered soon. Hours later, the president publicly criticized Sessions in an unplanned press interview, raising questions about Sessions' job security. One. The president asked Corey Lewandowski to deliver a message to Sessions to curtail the special counsel investigation. On June 19, 2017, two days after the president directed McGahn to have the special counsel removed, the president met one-on-one -on -one in the Oval Office with his former campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski. Senior White House advisors described Lewandowski as a devotee of the president and said the relationship between the president and Lewandowski was close. During the June 19th meeting, Lewandowski recalled that after some small talk, the president brought up Sessions and criticized his recusal from the Russia investigation. The president told Lewandowski that Sessions was weak and that if the president had known about the likelihood of recusal in advance, he wouldn't have appointed Sessions to the job. The president then asked Lewandowski to deliver a message to Sessions and said, write this down. This was the first time the president had asked Lewandowski to take the dictation, and Lewandowski wrote as fast as possible to make sure he captured the content correctly. 
the president directed that Sessions should give a speech publicly announcing. I know that I recuse myself from certain things having to do with specific areas, but our POTUS is being treated very unfairly. He shouldn't have a special prosecutor, counsel, because he has not done anything wrong. I was on the campaign with him for nine months. There were no Russians involved with him. I know it for a fact because I was there. He didn't do anything wrong, except he ran the greatest campaign in American history. Oh, brother. The dictated message went on to state that Sessions would meet with the special counsel to limit his jurisdiction to future election interference. Now a group of people want to subvert the Constitution of the United States. I'm going to meet with the special prosecutor to explain this is very unfair and let the special prosecutor move forward with investigating, investigating election meddling for future elections so that nothing can happen in future elections. The president said if, that if Sessions delivered this statement, he would be the most popular guy in the country. Lewandowski told the president he understood what the president wanted Sessions to do. Lewandowski wanted to pass the message to Sessions in person rather than over the phone. He did not want to meet at the Department of Justice because he did not want a public log of his visit and did not want Sessions to have an advantage over him by meeting on what Lewandowski described as Sessions' turf. Lewandowski called Sessions and arranged a meeting for the following evening at Lewandowski's office, but Sessions had to cancel due to a last-minute conflict. Shortly thereafter, Lewandowski left Washington, D.C. without having had an opportunity to meet with Sessions to convey the president's message. Lewandowski stored the notes in a safe at his home, which he stated was his standard procedure with sensitive items. Two, the president follows up with Lewandowski. Following his June meeting with the president, Lewandowski contacted Rick Dearborn, then a senior White House official, and asked if Dearborn could pass a message to Sessions. Dearborn agreed without knowing what the message was, and Lewandowski later confirmed that Dearborn would meet with Sessions for dinner in late July and could deliver the message then. Corey Lewandowski recalled thinking that the president had asked him to pass the message because the president knew Lewandowski could be trusted. But Lewandowski believed Dearborn would be a better messenger because he had a long-standing relationship with Sessions and because Dearborn was in the government while Lewandowski was not. On July 19, 2017, the president again met with Lewandowski alone in the Oval Office. In the preceding days, as described in Volume 2, Section 2G, emails and other information about the June 9, 2016 meeting between several Russians and Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, and Paul Manafort had been publicly disclosed. In the July 19 meeting with Lewandowski, the president raised his previous request and asked if Lewandowski had talked to Sessions. Lewandowski told the president that the message would be delivered soon. Lewandowski recalled that the president told him that if Sessions did not meet with them, Lewandowski should tell Sessions he was fired. Holy brother. Immediately following the meeting with the president, Lewandowski saw Dearborn in, this, in, in the room outside the Oval Office and gave him a typewritten version of the message the president had dictated to be delivered to Sessions. Lewandowski told Dearborn that the notes were the message that they had discussed, but Dearborn did not recall whether Lewandowski said the message was from the president. The message 
definitely raised an eyebrow for Dearborn, and he recalled not wanting to ask where it came from or think further about doing anything with it. Dearborn also said that he that being asked to serve as a messenger to Sessions made him uncomfortable. He recalled later telling Lewandowski that he had handled the situation, but he did not actually follow through with delivering the message to Sessions, and he did not keep a copy of the typewritten notes Lewandowski had given him. 3. The President Publicly Criticizes Sessions in a New York Times Interview Within hours of the President's meeting with Lewandowski on July 19, 2017, the President gave an unplanned interview to the New York Times in which he criticized Sessions' decision to recuse from the Russia investigation. The President said that Sessions should have never recused himself, and if he was going to recuse himself, he should have told me before he took the job, and I would have picked someone else. Sessions' recusal, the president said, was very unfair to the president. How do you take a job and then recuse yourself? If he would have recused himself before the job, I would have said, thanks, Jeff, but I can't, you know. I'm not going to take you. It's extremely unfair, and that's a mild word to the president. Hicks, who was present for the interview, recalled trying to throw herself between the reporters and the president to stop parts of the interview but the president loved the interview. Later that day, Lewandowski met with Hicks, and they, they discussed the president's New York Times interview. Lewandowski recalled telling Hicks about the president's request that he meet with Sessions and joking with her about the idea of firing Sessions as a private citizen if Sessions would not meet with him. As Hicks remembered the conversation, Lewandowski told her the president had recently asked him to meet with Sessions and deliver a message that he needed to do the right thing and resign. While Hicks and Lewandowski were together, the president called Hicks and told her he was happy with how coverage of his New York Times interview criticizing Sessions was playing out. 4. The president orders Priebus to demand Sessions' resignation. Three days later, on July 21, 2017, the Washington Post reported that U.S. intelligence intercepts showed that Sessions had discussed campaign-related matters with the Russian ambassador, contrary to what Sessions had said publicly. That evening, Priebus called Hunt to talk about whether Sessions might be fired or might resign. Priebus had previously talked to Hunt when the media had reported on tensions between Sessions and the president, and after speaking to Sessions, Hunt had told Priebus that the president would have to fire Sessions if he wanted to remove Sessions, because Sessions was not going to quit. According to Hunt, who took contemporaneous notes of the July 21st call, Hunt told Priebus that, as they had previously discussed, Sessions had no intention of resigning. Hunt asked Priebus what the president would accomplish by firing Sessions, pointing out that there was an investigation before and there would be an investigation after. Early the following morning, July 26, 2017, the president tweeted, A new intelligence leak from the Amazon Washington Post, this time against AG Jeff Sessions. These illegal leaks, like Comey's, must stop. Approximately one hour later, the president tweeted, So many people are asking why isn't the AG or special counsel looking at the many Hillary Clinton or Comey crimes? 33,000 emails deleted. Later that morning, while aboard Marine One on the way to Norfolk, Virginia, the president told Priebus 
that he had to get Sessions to resign immediately. The president said that the country had lost confidence in Sessions and the negative publicity was not tolerable. According to contemporaneous notes taken by Priebus, the president told Priebus to say that he needed a letter of resignation on his desk immediately and that Sessions had no choice but to must immediately resign. Priebus replied that if they fired Sessions, they would never get a new attorney general confirmed and that the Department of Justice and Congress would turn their backs on the president. But the president suggested he could make a recess appointment to replace Sessions. Priebus believed that the president's request was a problem. So he called called his attorney, McGahn, and asked for advice, explaining that he did not want to pull the trigger on something that was all wrong. Although the president tied his desire for Sessions to resign to Sessions' negative press and poor performance in congressional testimony, Priebus believed that the president's desire to replace Sessions was driven by the president's hatred of Sessions' recusal from the Russia investigation. McGahn told Priebus not to follow the president's order and said they should consult their personal counsel, with whom they had attorney-client privilege. McGahn and Priebus discussed the possibility that they would have to resign rather than carry out the president's order to fire Sessions. That afternoon, the president followed up with Priebus about demanding Sessions' resignation, using words to the effect, Did you get it? Are you working on it? Priebus Priebus said that he believed that his job depended on whether he followed the order to remove Sessions, although the president did not directly say so. Even though Priebus did not intend to carry out the president's directive, he told the president he would get Sessions to resign. Later in the day, Priebus called the president and explained that it would be a calamity if Sessions resigned because Priebus expected that Rosenstein and Associate General, Associate Attorney General Rachel Brand would also resign and the president would be unable to get anyone else confirmed. The president agreed to hold off on demanding Sessions' resignation until after the Sunday shows the next day to prevent the shows from focusing on the firing. By the end of that weekend, Priebus recalled that the president relented and agreed not to ask Sessions to resign. Over the next several days, the president tweeted about Sessions. On the morning of Monday, July 24th, 2017, the president criticized Sessions for neglecting to investigate Clinton and called him beleaguered. On July 24th, 25th, the president retweeted, Attorney General Jeff Sessions has taken a very weak position on Hillary Clinton crimes. Where are emails and DNC server and intel leakers? The following day, July 26th, the president tweeted, Why didn't A.G. Sessions replace acting FBI Director Andrew McCabe, a Comey friend who was in charge of Clinton's investigation? According to Hunt, in light of the president's frequent public attacks, Sessions prepared another resignation letter and for the rest of the year carried it with him in his pocket every time he went to the White House. (laughs) Analysis. In analyzing the president's efforts to have Lewandowski deliver a message directing Sessions to publicly announce that the special counsel investigation would be confined to future election interference, the following evidence is relative to the elements of obstruction of justice. A. Obstructive Act. 
The president's effort to send Sessions a message through Lewandowski would qualify as an obstructive act if it would naturally obstruct the investigation and any grand jury proceedings that might flow from the inquiry. The president sought to have Sessions announce that the president shouldn't have a special prosecutor counsel and that Sessions was going to meet with special prosecutor to explain this is very unfair and let the special prosecutor move forward with investigating election meddling for future elections so that nothing can happen in future elections. The president wanted Sessions to disregard his recusal from the investigation, which had followed from a formal DOJ ethics review, and have Sessions declare that he knew for a fact that there were no Russians involved with the campaign because he was there. The president further directed that Sessions should explain that the president should not be subject to an investigation because he hasn't done anything wrong. Taken together, the president's directives indicate that Sessions was being instructed to tell the special counsel to end the existing investigation into the president and his campaign, with the special counsel being permitted to move forward with investigating election meddling for future elections. B. Nexus to an official proceeding. As described above, by the time of the president's initial one-on-one -on -one meeting with Lewandowski on June 19, 2017, the existence of a grand jury investigation supervised by the special counsel was public knowledge. By the time of the president's follow-up meeting with Lewandowski, redacted grand jury. See Volume 2, Section 2G. To satisfy the nexus requirement, it would be necessary to show that limiting the special counsel's investigation would have the natural and probable effect of impeding that grand jury proceeding. C. Intent. Substantial evidence indicates that the president's effort to have Sessions limit the scope of the special counsel's investigation to future election interference was intended to prevent further investigative scrutiny of the president's and his campaign's conduct. As previously described, see Volume 2, Section 2B, the president knew that the Russia investigation was focused in part on his campaign, and he perceived allegations of Russian interference to cast doubt on the legitimacy of his election. The president further knew that the investigation had broadened to in include his own conduct and whether he had obstructed justice. Those investigations would not proceed if the special counsel's jurisdiction were limited to future election interference only. The timing and circumstances of the president's actions support the conclusion that he sought that result. The president's initial direction that Sessions should limit the special counsel's investigation came just two days after the president had ordered McGahn to have the special counsel removed, which itself followed public reports that the president was personally under investigation for obstruction of justice. The sequence of those events raises an, inner, an, an inference that after seeking to terminate the special counsel, the president sought to exclude his and his campaign's conduct from the investigative scope. The president raised the matter with Lewandowski again on July 19, 2017, just days after emails and information about the June 9th 2016 meeting between Russia, Russians and senior campaign officials had been publicly disclosed, generating substantial media coverage and, and investigative interest. 
The manner in which the president acted provides additional evidence of his intent. Rather than rely on official channels, the president met with Lewandowski alone in the Oval Office. The president selected a loyal devotee outside the White House to, to deliver the message, supporting an inference that he was working outside White House channels, including McGahn, who had previously resisted contacting the Department of Justice about the special counsel. The president also did not contact the acting attorney general, who had just testified publicly that there was no cause to remove the special counsel. Instead, the president tried to use Sessions to restrict and redirect the special counsel's investigation when Sessions was recused and could not properly take any action on it. The July 19, 2017 events provide further evidence of the president's intent. The president followed up with Lewandowski in a separate one-on-one -on -one meeting one month after he first dictated the message for Sessions, demonstrating he still sought to pursue the request. And just hours after Lewandowski assured the president that the message would soon be delivered to Sessions, the president gave an unplanned interview to the New York Times in which he publicly attacked Sessions and raised questions about his job security. Four days later, on July 22, 2017, the president directed Priebus to obtain Sessions' resignation. That evidence could raise an inference that the president wanted Sessions to realize that his job might be on the line as he evaluated whether to comply with the president's direction that Sessions publicly announced that notwithstanding his recusal, he was going to confine the special counsel's investigation to future election interference. So that was that. I'm so depressed. Oh my gosh. So this is the end of this episode. We're getting close to two hours, so we got to start another episode after this. Um, we're going to start at section G on the next episode. Um, so how, how about that section F? Woof. I think that might have been the worst. You think? I don't know. Honestly. I don't know what's, don't know what's ahead. This abstraction stuff is, is rough. I mean, come on. Any other person would go to jail. For sure. Frankly... William Barr might have obstructed <laughs> by putting that stupid little bit out. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us. This has Thank been you. this has been Pod Bless Robert Mueller, a translation for Texas, brought to you by the same person people. Person 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 persons. Person. Brought to you by the same persons who brought you Pod Bless Texas, featuring Lillian Salerno and Kendall Scudder. Thank you. Why do you always have to get the last word in? Just because. No. <laughs> Stop. Now you're laughed. Like you're trying to get the last word in, Lil. We're not letting you do it. Bye. Bye.